Well, happy Mother's Day again. Um, I'm uh, particularly fond of mothers because I know I wouldn't be standing here had I not had a mother. And uh, I assume that that's probably the case for each of you here today as well. That said, I know the subject of Mother's Day can elicit a wide uh, range of emotions and uh, reactions. Uh, I have to say personally, for me this day, this is a very reflective day uh, because uh, this is the first year uh, that my mom is not in my life because she died, uh, and I can't call her up, I can't go see her, and despite my faith and my joy for her life, uh, I feel that void poignantly, as I'm sure some of you in your own lives do. Anyway, as I've been thinking about this morning, uh, images of my wife, Regina, who is off visiting her mother this morning, uh, came to mind, and uh, specifically the image of my wife, Regina, having each of our three children. I'd say in life that each pregnancy and birth of our children were hands down the most extraordinary events in my life, life-changing. Now I realize and fully understand, of course, that our world is broken, that life is fragile and very sensitive to the more than tough realities for tons of moms and would-be moms. But putting this truth aside for a moment, one scene from my own experience has been flooding back into my mind over the last few days this week. For each of Regina's pregnancies, I remember very well going to the OB's office to do the imaging uh, when you see the developing baby and, and to listen to heartbeats. And hearing the heartbeat of each of our children for the first time simply blew my mind. I don't have any words to describe it. And with each child and each pregnancy, I experienced brand new life-changing moments and new understandings with the sound of each of our children's heartbeats. It's amazing that listening, really listening to that sound of a heartbeat, I just, again, I can't put it into words. As I thought about this, it strikes me that there's far more to listen to in life, isn't there, than just a developing baby's heartbeat. It's amazing what happens when we empty our minds of all our competing thoughts and truly focus and listen, really listen with great intention to what or to whom is right in front of us. Listening, really listening, is a game changer because when we do so, it opens us up to brand new ways of seeing things. Helps us to gain perspective we otherwise would not have. Leads us to empathy and understanding. And listening, really listening, prompts levels of love that are impossible without taking the time to listen. Our reading today, as you know, is from the book of Acts. Acts is a story of what happened to Jesus' first followers and those that followed in the immediate years following his resurrection. A lot had happened in Acts by the time we get to our reading today in chapter 9, and here's just a little sampling of what had happened. It had been a very busy time. Jesus' disciples had replaced Judas, who betrayed Jesus. The Holy Spirit filled thousands of people up with the presence of God. A bunch of religious leaders continued to be infuriated by anybody who talked about Jesus. Groups of new Jesus followers began meeting in all kinds of places. A fellow named Stephen was stoned to death by an angry mob. A popular wizard caught the attention of people and dazzled crowds. And a fundamentalist named Paul was confronted by the risen Jesus in his life turned upside down. And it's just after all of these extraordinary events 
that we run into our reading today and more extraordinary events, and let's take a look at it. One of Jesus' closest followers, Peter, was on a road trip visiting new Christians. And on his travels, he went to a town called Lydda, and while there, he met a paralyzed man named Aeneas who had been in bed eight years. And Peter goes to the man, and he says, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. And the man, after nearly 3,000 days in bed, gets up. And needless to say, people were quite astonished by what had happened. Now, just this little part of the story, I've preached on this, these topics before, but the story is about the healing power of Christ. For me, the story certainly raises questions about why the kind of healing described in the story doesn't always happen. The events mimic some of the healing that Jesus did in his own ministry. It, the story shows that what happens when Peter's faith shifted from wavering to strong faith and also shows that sometimes healing is communal. But none of those things I'm going to get into today as I have before. And then there's the next part of the story where you hear a woman of a woman named Tabitha or Gazelle or in Greek, her name was Dorcas. Now, any of you that work in OB departments and hospitals, you might suggest Dorcas as a, as a name for a child. I'm teasing, of course. I mean, what a name. Gazelle's not bad. Tabitha's pretty good. But Dorcas, really? I know there's going to be a Dorcas here today, and I'm just going to regret that. <laughs> it's a fine name. When here in the New Testament... Tabitha is referred to as a disciple of Jesus. Now, in the Mediterranean seaside community of Joppa, Tabitha worked, we know, doing a lot of hard work, and she did a lot of good. And Peter was in the general area, and Tabitha got sick, and she died. And friends who cared decided to lay her body out and prepare her for burial. And it's about this time that some other disciples heard that Peter was in the area, and so they asked Peter to come quickly in response to Tabitha's death. And we don't know why they asked Peter to come. We don't know what they were expecting Peter to do, but he did come. And upon arrival, Peter goes to the room where Tabitha is lying, and there he asks the people that are in the room to get out, and he goes to Tabitha, and he says, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and Peter helped her up. And Peter then asked people to come back into the room where they saw Tabitha alive, and were told as a result that a lot of people came to believe in Jesus. Well, this part of the story, just like the story of Aeneas, again talks about the strength of Peter's faith, raises questions again for me, which I've preached about many times, of why healing does and does not happen. It reflects a resurrection theme, although this is not a story about the resurrection of Tabitha. This is a story about Tabitha coming back to her old life. All great issues. But these wonderful stories this morning, and given that it's Mother's Day, got me thinking about all the amazing women that we probably don't think about too often. Tabitha was named a disciple of Jesus, yet rarely does Tabitha get much attention despite the fact she did so much good. She was not one of the 12 apostles, but here in the story she is named a disciple of Jesus, a word most often unfortunately reserved for men in Scripture. And the writer of Acts clearly uses this term to describe Tabitha to make us more aware of this astonishing woman that she certainly is on par with any dude. 
And so for a few moments on this Mother's Day, and as we think about women in our lives, I'd like to touch on the stories of other women in Scripture, women who are often not given the focus they deserve. What follows are just little snippets of stories. Think of this as kind of a verbal slideshow from scene to scene to scene of some amazing women. Well, let's start with Shipra and Pua. Ever heard of them? Sure you have. They were midwives. And they were alive in an age in which a lot of moms and a lot of babies did not survive childbirth. That's a heroic thing to be involved in just in and of itself. But when they were around, there was this guy who was the head of the nation. He was heartless. He was full of venom. He was full of prejudice. And as a result of his lack of character, he came up with a very sick and twisted idea. He thought, well, the way to get rid of these aliens in my country is to kill every alien baby boy that is born. That way, their kind will be eliminated from my land, so he thought. But Shipper and Pua ignored what they were directed to do. Integrity was part of their life, not self-serving anger, not prejudice against people of other nations. And so they refused to kill the baby boys. And countless lives were saved. And they did this without any apparent concern of consequences. In fact, their actions changed history. So thank God for those two midwives. Then there's another woman named Abigail. She lived in a time in which there was lots of war, lots of hatred, lots of violence. A guy named Saul was king of Israel at the time, and he was fairly deranged himself, and... He and his style of leadership created a lot of angst, so much that it was clear he would not last very long and that he would be succeeded by a guy named David. Well, Saul didn't like David. He hated him and wanted to kill him, so David ran off. And with David went a group of followers, and as they traveled all over the land, they needed supplies, obviously. One day, David hears about a very wealthy fail named Nabal, Another great scriptural name, Nabal means fool. So you could name your children Nabal and Dorcas. That's a great combination. (laughs) Well, anyway, David decides to send some of his men to see Nabal and ask for some help with food and needed items. We need some food. We need help. Can you help us? David knew that Nabal was a very wealthy guy that he could certainly spare some sheep and some food. So he sends his men to Nabal's Nabal's land. Nabal responds, in essence, to David's men. Who the heck is David? Why would I want to help him? Why would I want to help you? My stuff is my stuff. So David's men were turned down. They were insulted in the process, returned to David, tell him what happened. David is royally ticked off and decides he's going to go to Nabal and his land and teach those people a lesson. Well, fortunately for Nabal, he was married to Abigail. And Abigail found out what her husband had said to David's men. She knew immediately that big trouble was ahead because of how her idiotic husband had treated David's men, and she quickly gathered up wine, bread, raisins, figs, sheep. She didn't tell her husband anything, and she rides off with donkeys with all the supplies to go see David. And when she sees David, she apologizes, offers David the supplies he needs, prays for David, and a massive crisis is averted. But here's what one person writes about Abigail. 
Abigail could teach classes in the practice of nonviolence and peacemaking to individuals and nations. She's smooth, she's crafty. She knows the importance of turning an enemy into a friend. She's attentive to the downsides of hate and rage and the rash reactions that follow hate and rage. She's prayerful, she's quick-witted, she's wise. She knew how to negotiate, and she understood that it's better to reconcile, to heed the truth of another person, and to humble oneself to forge a solution. What an amazing woman Abigail was. And just one more woman, whose name we do not know, but what we do know is that she had a very bad reputation. Likely the kind of person who were happy to gossip about with loud voices when she was not around, but the kind of person that people would talk about in whispers when she was nearby. We don't know why she had a reputation, but she did. And one day, a very prominent religious leader, one in who in fact was narrow-minded, exclusive, and mean-spirited, says, Jesus, come to my house for a meal. This religious leader would be the one who would keep track of everybody's mistakes and happy to point them out. Jesus accepts the guy's request and goes to dinner. And when he's at this religious person's house, the woman shows up, walks behind Jesus, and begins to bathe Jesus' feet with her tears. She then dries his feet with her hair. And what is most extraordinary about her is that she goes directly into the place that she knows she's going to be judged and condemned. Yet she did it anyway because she knew it was the right thing to do. And unlike the religious leader, she was humble enough to know that she herself needed healing. And despite the fact that she was in great pain in her own life, she was willing to show care to someone else. And I could go on and on and on with stories of so many more women, stories of women like Hannah, who despite a heart-wrenching choice stuck to her commitment. Ruth, who puts the stability and emotional support needs of her mother-in-law ahead of what might feel like an easier path. Rebecca, who courageously leaves her hometown on an adventure without clarity. Sarah, who, while enjoying her elder years, agrees to do something with her husband that must have seemed totally off the wall to everybody else. And Mary Magdalene, who was the first person to run around telling people, Jesus has risen from the dead. And there are hundreds more like them. So why on earth do they generally not get as much attention as they deserve? Their stories remind me of something important, I believe, for each of us to ponder and pray about and hopefully act upon. Every human being on this planet has a story. Each of you have a story. Every single one of you and every single human being on earth has a voice. A voice worth listening to. And the sad thing is we live in a world and we have some communities of faith in the Christian tradition that often don't listen, really listen to as many voices as possible. In fact, many voices are drowned out by those that are the loudest, the most powerful, the angriest, and the most self-serving. But we all have stories worth listening to, don't we? We all have voices And I believe as followers of Jesus that we are compelled to be attentive to the voices that we tend to disregard 
to the voices that we don't want to hear, to the voices that are the most vastly different from our own. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And if you look at Jesus' life, the most powerful thing he did was to listen to the person in front of him. And his words and his actions were always based on what he heard from the person who was standing right in front of him. I don't understand why male-dominated churches have ignored the voices of women and excluded them from leadership positions and believe that only men can hold certain positions. I just don't get it. I don't get why there are narrow-minded Christians who ignore the voices of those who love Jesus with all their hearts and minds and souls but condemn them because of who God made them to be. And in our world, the rich don't listen enough to the poor. The poor don't listen enough to those who are rich. Men don't listen enough to the voices of women. Sometimes women don't listen enough to the voices of men. Young don't listen enough to old. Old don't listen enough to young. And, on, and children on this Mother's Day sometimes don't listen enough to their moms. And sometimes moms don't listen enough to their children. The same is true, of course, for dads. But through the stories of the women I mentioned this morning and the countless stories of the women worldwide, we are given a reminder of an astonishing opportunity as followers of Jesus. We are given a huge blessing that will change our lives and make us more like Jesus. That opportunity, that blessing, to take each moment that we are given breath, to take each moment to listen and really listen to the person who is right in front of us. To be very intentional about listening while quieting down all that defensive chatter that goes on in our own heads. To especially listen to those voices we typically don't attend to or are unwilling to hear. And so my prayer for the chapel is that we will continue to be the place where we were, are willing to listen to each other's stories, whoever we are and wherever we are in our journeys of faith. Each one of you here today has a story and a voice worth listening to. Never forget it. God listens to your voice. God knows your story. And so as God's followers, we must listen to each other's. And the beautiful thing as I've thought about this is, and I really believe this, is that the more we're willing to really listen the more we will allow love to be the part of our lives that takes central place. The more we are willing to listen, the more we will love, and the more we'll allow ourselves to be loved. So again, my prayer in closing is that we be the place that's known not only for loving God, loving others, and loving ourselves, but we're known as a community of faith that knows how to listen. So in the name of Jesus, let us listen, really listen. Amen.